Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Aussies only. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Well, it's time for another edition of Aussies Only, and a man you'd be very familiar with through uh, your listenership of the first serve and his association with Brett Phillips over the journey. You would have heard him on radio. You also would have seen him not just around Melbourne Park at tennis time, but potentially around Punt Road and the like with the other Tigers in their uh, in their VFL program and their high performance, obviously, AFL program as well. Mark Safoulis, I speak of. Mark, thanks for uh, for joining us. Pleasure, Darren. It's nice to be uh, back on the first serve, which is cool. Obviously, you've got uh, a couple of key sporting loves. I ran into you a few times around Melbourne Park in, in January. What gets you more excited around about the 8th or 10th of January, knowing that the Australian Open is a, a week away or as we stand at the moment the 13th of March knowing that the AFL season is four or five days away <laughs> I think they're both pretty similar I think they're both big build-ups and uh, obviously you do a lot of work through a pre-season to to be ready for for both of those so um, you know it's eagerly anticipated right across the board from both coaches players and and obviously fans so um, yeah, really looking forward to this this week, obviously, with our round one coming up in the AFL. But, um, yeah, just going through the uh, Australian Open was a pretty cool couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, it was a great tournament this year. Good to be back to, obviously, post-COVID sport, which is amazing. Now, I know, obviously, we'll, we'll focus primarily on tennis shortly, but getting that is the, the flavour of the moment. So, Richmond-Carlton on Thursday night, probably the biggest. I know they've had some big matchups on the, the season opener, but invariably, if you go back, seven, eight, nine years, one of them was strong and, and the other one would be struggling a little bit. It feels like now they're both right in the frame. Obviously, Carlton itching for a return to finals. They did all but make it last year and the Tigers have strengthened their list. And, and obviously, after round six last year, apart from the North loss, I think they were only beaten by Geelong, Sydney and Brisbane and all by less than a kick. So uh, they would have to feel like they're right in it as well. How are you? Um, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, no, it's exciting. I think you know, obviously, Carlton are going to be really good this year, and they showed glimpses last year. Obviously, just falling short of the finals, unfortunately for them. But uh, you know, we we obviously were with thereabouts. We obviously losing it within a kick to Brisbane in that final, and and we were obviously playing some pretty good footy at the back end of the year. So. Um, hopefully, with a couple of good additions and a, and a healthy list, we can we can continue to obviously strive forwards and some great experience mixed with some awesome youth. So yeah, really looking forward. It's a, it's exciting time of year for, for AFL fans. So it's uh, going to be a, a hot night. I think on Thursday, I think we're looking at a thirty degree day. So it should be a, a quite an interesting round one for, for AFL fans. Yeah, and already sold out. I think a definite chance there'll be a nine in front of the uh, the crowd number come uh, come Thursday night, which would be fantastic to see. We'll talk more about the crossover later on and obviously the some of the parallels between high performance in in both of those sports but but your tennis journey when did it start can you take us through to day one when you realized that uh, not just you enjoyed the the sport but you could actually make something of it yeah it's, a, it's an interesting one I grew up with a, a dad that was a, a decent tennis player he played a bit of state grade pennant and 
was quite a good player. He turned into a coach himself and I think it was almost in the blood and, and kind of followed him around to his Saturday afternoon competitions and, and it kind of grew from there and the love of the game was was there. And growing up, I, you know, all I wanted to do was, was play at the highest level and um, I tell the story to, to all the kids that I coach all the time, but from the age of 12, I saved up all my Christmas money, birthday money, Easter money that family would give me and I put it into a bank account and when I turned 18, I played pro with that and I, my parents couldn't afford for me to to travel and play and I sort of did it all by myself and it kind of was was rough but also at the same time taught me a lot of lessons about life and you know the the respect I had for everyone around me the people that had made it the people that did it and tennis has been in, in in my blood ever since and I sort of played until I was about 20 and felt like um, it was no longer probably what I wanted to pursue in terms of a career and um, financially tough injuries and I found this love for for helping others um, and it kind of stemmed from there. I felt that I was always working harder to help someone else achieve their goals than I was to achieve mine and when I was asked about what my goals were as a coach I always said to people that my goals are actually not, I didn't have any goals because I wanted my goals to be my players and and what they wanted to achieve and if I could help them achieve them I felt like I was succeeding and and that was um where the, the love of coaching grew and um you know I've coached right from grassroots to the pro level but um every single person along that journey has taught me something about about life and tennis and I'm forever grateful to the people that I've coached I think they've taught me probably more than um I probably have learned in any book or any course that I've done in the past so um, it's been a long journey. I started when I was probably four years of age and now at the, the ripe old age of 41, I feel like um, I've had a few experiences and, and a lot of different things that have taught me a lot of lessons. Was there a moment in particular, you said then at about the age of 20, that the financial burden, the injuries and, and, and that passion for helping others, w- was it a case of growing up, you knew you loved the game, but it was when you got to that age, you realised exactly where the passion sat or was it just all of those things adding up thinking, yeah, this is pretty tough. It, it might, might not have been exactly what I thought it was. I want to stay involved and, and you found a different way. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one as a sports person because you sort of, all you know is the sport. And, you know, I played um, Aussie rules as a junior all the way through and, and played tennis all the way through. And I actually didn't know anything else. I just knew that sport was what I love to do. And in the words of my dad, he always said to me, always do something that you that you're passionate about and you love doing because you're going to be doing it for a hell of a long time in your life. And if it wasn't to be playing, it was obviously something in in the pathway of, of sport. And I think I chose the tennis pathway because, well, it was funny because I, I remember vividly sitting in my parents' bedroom and back then that's where the uh, the house phone was, the bedroom, and, and we didn't have mobiles back in those days when I was 18. And I had to call the Calder Cannons coach or my tennis coach to decide which way I was going to go in terms of a future of a career. And I had the Calder Cannons lettuce. I called the Calder Cannons coach and said to him, look, I'm no no longer going to play footy anymore. I'm going to pursue tennis. And, um, and that was a challenging decision in itself, but then it was – you know, I, I thought I, I chose tennis because there was a pathway in coaching that was a possibility, whereas I thought in AFL at the time there were 16 AFL teams, I didn't think there was a possibility of coaching the level um, at all. So 20 years later and I'm, I'm coaching at a, an 
at the Richmond Footy Club, which is amazing, but I never thought that would be the case. So, you know, I think um, there was a lot of factors that came into me choosing tennis and going down this path of coaching. And, you know, I, I don't think I would ever change anything, any decision I've made. I don't regret any decision I've made. And I think tennis coaching has, has given me so much. It's given my family so much and it's put a roof over my head and, uh, and taken me all over the world. So I, I couldn't be more grateful for what the sport's given me. And looking back, it's been an amazing journey. What's been the, the biggest lesson or the biggest discovery you found as you say around the world coaching people like Victor Hanescu coaching in the Indian programs as well obviously working with the Bryan brothers who were at the obviously the, the absolute pinnacle of the, the sport and with the, the the travel associated with that what have been some of the things you've, you've learned we've often been told about the different attitudes to sport in different countries and the fanaticism in parts of Europe and, and stuff like that are, are there some takeaways you, you've had from those experiences it's been a hell of a lot <laughs> to be honest I um you know working obviously with the best players in the world and you know sitting on court and practicing with Bob and Mike Bryan and chance to practice with Simona Hallett when she first you know turned up to the tour and all these amazing individuals I've had the chance to work with you you just realize that they're human I think we all look at them as these superstars and and they are in their own right but they're actually human beings and they have rough times they have good times but at the end of the day they're just people and you know we we kind of expect a lot of these people all the time including the afl stars and we see them do things that we we frown upon and we we get disappointed with but at the end of the day they're just like you and i and and you know i've been very fortunate to work with some amazing players but they're they're even better people and they've taught me so much there is to life and and so forth and given me opportunities that i never would have dreamed of to be able to travel the world and you know, like you said, travel through India and to coach, you know, in some of the back streets of India was quite an eye-opener. And But you realise that, you know, I walked went over there and walked into hotels or onto tennis courts and the kids over there think you're a superstar and I was a no one at the time. And, but to give back to them, you know, whether it be just to give them a tennis ball or give them, buy them a bottle of water, I, it was the world to them. So, you know, I think all these people, we're, we're all role models, no matter whether coaches or players, I think we're all role models in every way, shape and form. And I think that taught me a lot about just being myself, being authentic. Um, like, you know, the Bryan brothers to me are just the standout in that. They're, they're just authentic people and, you know, I can call them friends and they're amazing guys. But, you know, I, I just love the fact that they are just who they are and, you know, they don't change. They're, they're not because of one hundred and sixteen tournaments 118 tournaments doesn't mean that they're any different to you and I you know it's kind of amazing so I think that's one of the big things is to sort of stay true to yourself as a person and that's taught me a, a lot about you know being authentic in that way also I think the fact that everybody is born equal we're all born equal but it depends how bad you want something and how passionate you are to develop and and you know there's so many people trying to do what you're trying to do if, whether it's being a tennis player or a coach but what makes you stand out is the work that you put in and you know this day and age is always looking for a shortcut whether it be you know we've got access to these smartphones that give us the answer straight away and an instant gratification but I think at the end of the day, it's about the work that you put in is the is the result and outcome you get out. Have you found any correlation between, I'm sure it's not an exact science, but between struggle and work rate and that those that have done it harder almost appreciate that that hard work more? I'm sure that's not an exact science. I'm sure there are plenty of people that, that have, uh, you know, had things easier than others but have still worked phenomenally hard. But is there a correlation? There, there is. I think struggle is important. Um, and I... 
and I really embrace the struggle now. I think it's a it's a word Craig McRae, who was a mentor of mine, always said. He said, embrace the struggle. And he always told our, our boys the same thing when he coached at, at Richmond. He was really big on embracing the struggle because at the end of the day, it, it's coming through those struggles and that adversity that teaches us so much about who we are and, and how to go about things. And and next time you do face that same kind of adversity, what you need to do to get through that and there's been so many struggles in my life, but also in my players' lives that we've had to work through and and problem solve along the way. And as a coach, you've got to problem solve. And as a player, you're the same thing. So it's about problem solving and decision making that makes us who we are and where we get to. And um, there's no doubt the struggle is is important. We don't want it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not something we crave and and we go out every day to hope that there is a struggle. But at the end of the day, it's it's what makes us who we are and and builds the resilience that we have. And it builds the armor of uh, of strength we have every time we we face adversity. Was there something that w- when you were coming through as a player that either you didn't have or that you wish existed that that now you are coaching, you make sure that you either provide players or you uh, inform them of the way through some of those challenges that that maybe you weren't informed about. Yeah, I guess when I was growing up, there was the, the land before the internet and uh, the land of the dinosaurs. So, you know, we didn't have access to tournament calendars online and we didn't have access to, you know, Google and different things that we could do that and do the research. So you had to rely on people who had done it in the past, which I felt was a challenge when a lot of people you were playing against wouldn't give you the answers that you probably were looking for and they probably tried not to they try to thwart your your development so that was a real challenge and I always say to the kids that I coach I'm going to be honest with you I'm going to tell you the reality of the sport and not just the dream because you know I'm not a coach that sells a dream at all the dream is is you know a small piece of the puzzle it's it's the reality of the sport that people need to hear about more often than not. And, you know, the struggles, the challenges, the financial difficulties, the, the travel you have to do, the amount of training you've got to go through. So all that stuff is things that I never knew growing up was how hard I had to train, how many hours I need to be on court, how many hours I need to put into the gym, the, the the component of how many matches I needed to play per year and the development process behind that. I thought if you had a bit of talent, you could make it. And that was kind of my my thinking because everyone used to tell me that I had some talent, but you know, the old hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard quote always rings true to me now. So that kind of, you know, sits pretty much in my belly as a, as a sick feeling because I always felt that talent would get me through, but it never did. And, and anyone that comes to me or a parent that rings me and says, I got a talented kid, I kind of squash that pretty quickly and say, you know what, that's kind of where I was 25 30 years ago so um let's not talk talent let's talk you know hard work and reality and let's just make sure we face the facts and we're going to have struggle at times but we're also going to enjoy the the small moments of ups that we have and so i wish i had that you know growing up with someone that would really smack me around the ears and told me the truth and that would have been really nice my dad told me the truth in other ways he didn't quite understand the development of tennis even though he played but copped that from dad but i never copped the the truth from anywhere else because i don't think a lot of people are in 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 my network probably had had the right ideas you know there was some some sort of discussion around it with my coach at the time but but there was no real identifying pathway for me so I kind of struggled with that um, growing up and I'm luckily enough I, I know a little bit more now which I pass on to all my players. The tennis menu obviously talking a little bit about that how did that come to be obviously there's a lot of information online uh, there if people want to head along to your, your website but can you sort of take us through how that came to be born? Been a few years in the making really I wanted to put together for a long time everything that I had learnt or I'd been taught by someone or I'd found out along the way for parents, players and coaches to understand 
what I didn't know as a, as a player and now I know as a coach um, and all the experiences I've had and online coaching platforms and player platforms to be accessible to a lot more kids. I think, you know, going through places like India and China and work, doing a lot of work through Asia, you find that there's they're pretty sheltered to the information that's necessary for them to become better at their craft. And, you know, I want to give back to the sport that's given me so much. So a lot of our content is actually free at the moment and there's a few courses in the making about to be launched. But there's a lot of stuff there that I'm trying to give to a lot of people to to understand the game and the rigors of it and and the learnings that I've had along the way. And it's actually something that I began as a someone who wanted to just give back to people. I never wanted to make any money out of it. It was never a business idea. It was more of a, let's just put everything online and, and hopefully someone can make use of it to I'm getting now it's I'm getting old and I'm struggling to be on the court a little bit. So maybe it's something that I can actually have a as a financial reward for all the work I've put in over the last 25 years of coaching. So yeah, it's going to be an online coaching platform, which will have a lot of information for players, parents, and, and coaches to to learn the game and to have accessible content and courses and resources to to grow themselves. And I'm always trying to grow and do courses. And I think that it's important that we continue to have that growth mindset no matter where we sit in the, in the game and, and learn as much about it as possible. Obviously dabbled in in media quite a bit as well, be it through the first serve or commentary and, and the like. How did that come about and, and how much do you enjoy that side of the game as an analyst. Yeah, I actually love it. Analyzing sport is something that I've actually enjoyed doing for a long time and and to have the opportunity which I got through BP obviously at the first serve. I literally reached out to BP with an email one day and just said I saw you got a tennis show. If there's anything I can ever do, please reach out. Love to love to help out and and spread the word about the game and as I said with the tennis menu, it's the same thing. It's kind of like I wanted to 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 give back to the people and to the game that has given me so much and you know, I was Fortunate enough to to work with BP a little bit and spend some time at the AO and the bunker and, and do some analytic work, which is pretty cool. And yeah, I, I quite enjoy it. Still do bits and pieces of it, and it's taken me a, you know a long way. The analytics side's been a, a big part of mine. And teaming with uh, Shane Leonage at Data Driven Sports Analytics, we did a podcast for BP, crunching the numbers for a long time, and, and we've worked with a lot of players doing analytical uh, work for pre-game and post-match um, analytics. And uh, I think it's a it's a massive area that's growing. I think tennis is a long way behind a lot of other sports around the world in the analytics space but i think it uh it's a massive part of the game now and i still quite enjoy doing it and um and you know do bits and pieces here and there still the bunker you, you mentioned that it's a very intimate little environment down there but it's a great place to uh to, to watch tennis that that's for sure uh the the transition to the afl we, we mentioned earlier i mean you weren't new to footy you were following a pathway as a junior that, that could have potentially led to a, a career in the afl obviously the quarter cannons at the time one of the the strongest clubs in that uh, domestic competition, or probably the TAC Cup at the time and the, the NAB League now. Um, what have been the biggest crossovers, things that you know are relatable in the sense that you can tell athletes in both sports and, and maybe things that you've learned through footy that have then gone back to help you in tennis? It's a really good one. I think um, someone, I've been asked this question a lot around, you know, oh, you coach tennis and you coach footy, how do you do that? At the end of the day, you coach people, right? We're in the game of, of people management. So I think if you've got a, a craft or an art of coaching people and you understand personalities and how to get the best out of human beings, you can coach any sport. I think the challenge for me has always been the the information and uh, and ensuring that the language is the same. And obviously in tennis and footy, you're dealing with different languages. So, you know, on a Saturday morning, I get up in the morning, I go and coach tennis for four hours from 6 a.m. to 10, I then change into my Richmond gear, I get in the car, I drive to Punt Road or I drive to 
to Frankston or wherever our game uh, may be and, and coach footy in the car. I'm listening to our pre-week meetings, training meetings, and making sure the language is in my head so when I get there that I've got the right language and communicating in the right way that people understand. And so I think that, that footy has, has taught me a lot about coaching, or probably more. I think football is in a, in a state of up-to-date knowledge with coaching and you know, the coaches go overseas and research the latest in coaching practices, whereas tennis, I feel, is still on gut feel. And I think there's a, there's a lot to learn from a tennis standpoint about opinions and versus facts. And, you know, that's obviously been a long time coming in the tennis world. I think we've now, with the analytics, I think we can now back our art with some science, which is great. I think football's been in that state where there's been a lot more science-backed information uh, and research than there has in tennis. So I guess understanding that, you know, in football, you've got to back your ideas up a lot. You know, when you're talking to the head coach around what I want to do with the midfield, it's around, you know, okay, well, you know, I think we need to change personnel in the midfield. And he'll he'll say to me, well, why are we going to do that? And I'll talk to him about the stoppages and I'll talk to him about what the you know differential of clearances are. And I'll talk to him about what the numbers are telling me. And then he'll say, okay, great. So who are we going to go with? So it's trying to find the problem and then trying to find solutions. I think there's a lot of tennis coaching. It's based upon my gut feel and what I'm seeing at the time and not really backing it with any kind of numbers or data or science um, and not enough vision. I've learned a lot through the footy landscape that just want your information as opposed to want to learn. They want instant gratification in tennis. They need results pretty quickly. Whereas in, in AFL, you kind of, you're there and it's not, there's no instant gratification because the player might not get a ball for, for 10, 15 minutes. And it's kind of like that gratification is delayed. But if they get to the right positions in the right times, it might come to them at that time. So there's, you know, a stark difference in, in our games. But in a nutshell, we're kind of, we're just coaching human beings. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're looking to you for support and you've got to be able to be there for them. You've got to build strong relationships, which I think is pretty similar right across the board in any kind of coach-player relationship. But, yeah, they're very, very similar landscapes, but very different. You know, obviously the game is totally different, team versus individual, but the landscape is very similar that we're dealing with humans. So quite enjoyed the football side of it. You know, I don't have as much pressure as the AFL full-time guys and – um, but at the same time, it's it's a it's a passion of mine. I love it. I enjoy it, um, and I love seeing the players get the the results that they deserve. So uh, no different to tennis. And the last few, but before we let you go, that the strength of our pathways at the moment in Australia, we've obviously spoken historically about how in other parts of the world they're getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and we had periods where. Perhaps we weren't as successful, but obviously through Sam and Ash, and now you look at Alex Demonor and Nick Kyrgios, and then the strong Australian Opens from Kubler and Popper and et cetera. How do you feel our, our pathways are? And you're you're obviously working very closely with a lot of the juniors too. Are, are we in good shape or as good a shape as we'd like to be? Oh, I think there's a bit of work to go. Um, you know, I think there's there's been some great results, obviously, over the last six months with a lot of our players and um, seeing some great results with, with obviously, Jordan Thompson beating Bus this week. And, you know, you see these results, which are outstanding for Australian tennis, but... I think the the key for for long term success is the developmental side of it, ensuring that we've got that really sewn up and and I guess really clear. One thing that we don't have down pat in Australia is a really clear pathway for our kids, and we live a long way away from where all the tournaments are. And it is a challenge for our for our juniors uh, financially to be able to continue um, when they're doing really well between the age of fourteen and eighteen. I think that's the the biggest. 
financial outlay and obviously the challenging part around school and, and so forth where things become um, more hectic in that, in that stand, from that standpoint as well. And, and the parents need to travel with them at times because they're still young kids and, you know, you, you're putting in a lot of money so you're stopping work to be able to go there. And so it's, it's a very challenging time. I think that that period of 14 to 18 is kind of where we need to improve on um, from, a, from an Australian standpoint. Um, I'm not sure exactly our numbers behind who's coming through, but it kind of is a little bit scarce in the ITF juniors as, as far as I know. Um, but that's still a work in progress. I think we're, we're we're striving hard to work towards, I guess, some some better results, but I think we're still a fair way off where we need to be. Well, what's your, your proudest moment in tennis over the, the journey, be it improvement you've seen in someone, particular results? Is there one that sort of stands out? When any player that you coach achieves their personal best. I think that that to me is always a proud moment and to sit alongside or in a coach's box with players that win a Grand Slam. I mean, obviously that's the pinnacle, whether it be a you know an open Grand Slam or a junior Grand Slam. Those sort of moments in my in my coaching are, are ones that you look back on with with fond memories. And you know, when memories come up on your Facebook or on your on your phone and it's like you know remember that when that happened i think that that's obviously what you what you strive for as a performance coach is to to achieve outcomes but nothing fulfills your heart more than when a kid who has really struggled or gone through some adversity achieves something quite phenomenal i mean those those moments are always moments that i that i cherish more than anything than any trophy that you get than any any wins that you have or any money that you make i think when you see, you know, a kid's face when they run off the court and they've they've achieved something. I mean, I literally got off the phone five minutes before this podcast with a, a girl who has come back from um but she'd retired eight years ago, nine years ago, and decided she wanted to play again. And she just won her first tournament after two years of coming back. And it, for me, it, it kind of, you know, there was tears on the phone and and those sort of moments of what you what you coach for. You know, they're they're more the reward than anything, any money they've ever made. So I think that to me is you know amazing. I look back at those many hundreds of outcomes that the kids have achieved. Uh, you know, as an amazing memory. But you know, obviously the Grand Slam wins and the the AFL premierships and VFL premierships and anything you've held a trophy on are obviously great memories to have as well. Is there something you have next on your agenda where you're like, well, this is this is my goal? Is there something or a box that you either haven't ticked that you'd, you'd still like to tick? I think the box I'd like to tick is someone actually asked me, you know, if I retire, what happens to my IP? Um, and I was like, that's interesting. Like, I, I'd love to give my IP everything that I know, everything that I've ever learned out. And that's what the tennis venue is all about. And that's why I continue to strive towards delivering this for people is because I, I that's, that's my goal at the moment is to ensure that if I leave this game, I leave it in a better place than when I found it. And if I, you know, can leave everybody that I impact in a better way than I find them. That to me is is my job done, and um, and then let the next people take you know take the reins and you know win the win the tournaments, take, you know win the slams and coach the best players, and because um, it is an amazing journey and it's something that I always look back on as you know proud and you know I want my kids to be proud of that. You sort of work hard towards you know little outcomes like that, but you know if if I can leave the, the game in a better way than I found it, then you know that's the box I want to tick. Mark, thank you for. Everything you've done, obviously, a very busy time for you this week and and beyond. And I appreciate you jumping on and, and sharing some thoughts on your journey thus far and still obviously plenty more to write. And we'll look forward to uh, to seeing you around the traps, be it at the MCG or, or Melbourne Park. Thanks, Darren. Much appreciated. Yeah, there's plenty, uh, plenty to come over the next few years. So, yeah, looking forward to it. And thanks for, for having me on the show. 
The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, in it to win it.